just to stand to stand in a church and have your pastor affirm you as a woman and to say the things that my pastor just said over me. I mean, Gordy's so much more to me and our family than just a pastor. But just that is unique. I just want to start by saying that we're blessed in Christendom to be a part of a church that even would begin that way. So, yeah, thank you to our leadership. Thank you to, to all of the leadership, uh, men, and, men and women leaders of our church who, who are committed to that, committed to affirming that. So this series is called It's All There. Because the proposal that uh, Gordy set out in his introduction for this series that our church is doing on justice is that if we can get this right, this is pretty much all we need. It's, it's, a, it's a partner verse. This is an Old Testament verse with the verse that we heard already read today in the gospel when Jesus spoke when we heard that reading today from Matthew and Jesus spoke, somebody said, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says too. What, has, what does the Lord require of you? He's shown all you people what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. So we're going to talk about that more this day as what that means in regards to women. Our church is also, many of us are, uh, many of you are going through the Steps of Justice 30-day prayer guide. And I have a few extra copies here today. If there's anybody that doesn't have one and wants one, you don't have to start it at the beginning. Um, but is there anybody that, if there's anybody that doesn't have one, I have a few extra copies. You can come and grab one from me. Um, like, actually, you know what? Is there anybody that wants one right now? Okay. Wade, will you give them to people who want them right now? So um, we are super privileged that one of our best friends in the whole world is part of the team that initiated this prayer guide. And the idea for it came to him um, when he was looking at some of these huge issues. He, we work with a missions organization called Youth with a Mission, and uh, so does our friend Phil and our friend Wayne and his wife uh, and Phil's wife Amy that started this prayer guide. And now, basically, it's it's turned from a prayer guide into a movement. And Phil and Amy and our friends Chris and Jen and their friends have actually given up their homes. They now have trailers, and they are traveling North America with their families. We kind of pioneered something last year when we just decided to put our family... Well, we didn't decide. When circumstance, we believed that God opened the door, and our family wound up traveling for a lot of the year last year, and now we're, we're seeing them. And they're actually going to be here November the 10th for a night of justice and worship. But the idea behind this prayer guide is that we can do justice one small step at a time. And that these issues that are covered in this prayer guide are massive. And so often when we hear about issues like human trafficking and gender injustice and hunger and poverty, they feel so big that it can be paralyzing. That we just don't even know where to start. And I know I felt that way. Especially when you hear some statistics, you just feel like, well, what's the deal? But there's a beautiful... Um, beautiful proverb that's at the beginning of this book, um, Half the Sky, which I, um, Gordy and Kathleen gave a copy to me uh, earlier this month, and much of what I've learned during this process of teaching has come from this book, Half the Sky, and it talks about a, a proverb of a, a little guy, little boy walking along a beach, 
and uh, they're covered with starfish. And a man walking towards him, and the little boy's throwing the starfish back into the water. And the man says to him, what are you doing? And the little boy says, well, I'm throwing the starfish back in the water so that they'll live. And the man said, well, how are you going to make a difference? Like, there's, there's millions, there's thousands of these starfish on this beach. How are you going to possibly make a difference throwing them back into the water one by one? And the little kid picks up the starfish, chucks it back in the water and says, made a difference to that one. So that's, that's what we're trying to. We're trying to, to bring it into to, to small steps. Because when we start talking about big issues, gender injustice, it's one of the biggest. Because, well, we're talking about half the population of the world. <laughs> it's a big deal. And it touches on so many of the other subjects that we have covered and will cover in this series. You know, when we're talking about disease and hunger and trafficking and addiction and being orphaned and abandoned and facing abortions and the challenges of indigenous people, it's a gender injustice issue almost every time. So um, the, the statistics on this issue are staggering, as many of uh, Many of them are when we start looking at any justice issue. Um, statisticians, people who study stuff like this, began realizing, I can't remember exact dates, but I would say 10-ish years ago, maybe a little longer, that as they were looking at statistics in the world, there were millions of women, and there's debate as to how many, 60 to 100 million women that were just gone girls and women that were just gone. And by that, what it means is normal population, men and women ratio, usually women are a little higher than men because they tend to live a little bit longer in a given population. But in countries where women and girls were not valued, the women were just not there. The ratio was not what it was supposed to be. And in fact, it lined up that in each place where women and girls were not valued, the ratios are, uh, instead of it being, say, I can't remember my exact stats, so I don't want to get them wrong, but let's say usually if boys were at 100, girls are over 100, or 1,000, girls are over 1,000. But it started dropping. In fact, there was a news story last night that I saw on Facebook that I linked to and I'm going to reference it a little later in the morning, where this particular state in India where women are not valued, girls are uh, in the 800s to 1,000 boys. And they can even say in this particular state, it's lower. And we don't even know all the reasons why this is. There's ideas. Part of it is that with the advent of ultrasound, when people are able to find out the sex of their child before they're born, if a girl is they discover they're going to have a girl as opposed to a boy, a girl is aborted. They've tried to stop that practice by not showing the sex, but it still happens. Sometimes it's the fact that if a girl is not valued as much as a boy in a family, and there's illness in the family, and there's medication, the sons will be cared for, but the daughters or wives will not. It's as simple as that. So we don't even know all the statistics, but we do know that it's massive. We do know that more girls have been killed in this, this, this concept of a, not just a genocide, a gender side, in the last 50 years, because they were girls, than all the men in all the battles of the 20th century. It's overwhelming. Uh, the authors of Half the Sky, their, their statement was that in the um, 
uh, centuries before, we were looking at the issue of slavery. And in the, in the 20th century, totalitarianism. But they said in this century, they believe that the biggest moral challenge that we're going to face is the issue of gender identity. So we're dealing with these crazy statistics. Just take a minute to take some of them in. Pregnancy is the leading cause of death in girls ages 15 to 19 because of early marriage. 96 million girls in developing countries are illiterate. Half of the sexual assaults worldwide are against girls younger than 15. When I was reading Half the Sky, there were all these statistics, all these statistics, all these statistics, and they were talking about how rape is becoming a weapon of war. And they put a statistic out there that during the Civil War in Liberia, 90% of the female population over the age of three had been sexually assaulted during that Civil War. I, was just, I had to put my book down. <laughs> I had to just weep a little bit about that. It is staggering. But the other thing that we need to remember is that if we start talking about statistics and only statistics, we will be bogged down, paralyzed, overwhelmed. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to deal with it. It's too huge. It's too big. We can't take it in. What we have to remember is that for every single one of those statistics, there's a face. There's a person. There's a little girl. There's a woman who is the daughter of the Most High King. That's what we need to remember, is we're talking about girls that Jesus loves. I dare you to look at me and see only a statistic. I dare you to look at me and see only Someone a statistic. you'll never meet. A tragedy. A commodity. A child bride. I dare you to look at me without pity, fatigue, dismissal. I dare you to look at me as more than a poster for your cause. A promise you won't keep. I dare you to look at me and see I'm the answer. I dare you to rethink what it means to look at a girl, not a burden, not an object, but the answer.
that video we just watched was called I Dare You, and it's available on a website that is a fantastic place for finding out about this issue. It's called thegirleffect.org. And if you can't remember anything else about today or everything overwhelms you, it's a great place to go back and look at some of the things that we've been talking about today. The girl effect. And what they're saying is that uh, even though the research for this topic is heavy, the statistics are staggering, it's also been incredibly exciting and incredibly encouraging because people are saying things like, the single best hope that we have for the developing world is to invest in a girl. Just this, this, this is Secretary of the UN who's saying these things. The statistic, I don't know if you caught it there, but what they're finding is that when money is invested or an opportunity is given to a girl in the developing world, it shows that 90% of what's invested in her gets reinvested back into her family and into her community, in her education, in the education of others. And the, the ripple effect is staggering. So it's a very hopeful thing. Um, to give a little perspective on girls and that we're going to talk about in the developing world and here, I asked Kaylee if she would talk to me. So I'm just going to have a brief conversation with Kaylee, who is one of the girls in our church. Hey, Kaylee. Hey. Great. So Kaylee, how old are you? Thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. And you're in grade? Eight. Grade eight. Okay. And do you think that you'll probably graduate high school? Yes. Okay. Have people in your high school, grad, people in your family graduated high school before you? Yes. Okay. And do you think that you'll probably go to college or university? Yes. Okay. Do you, um, do you have any idea what you want to do for a career yet? Mm, kind of. Yeah? What's some of your ideas? I've been thinking about being a wedding planner, an actress, a police officer, a lawyer, I love it. I say yes. Do it all. That's great. And do you feel like your family would be supportive of you in those different choices that, that you would make? How did, is that something that you've seen happen before? Yes. Yeah. Um, what are some of the ways that you've seen that model that you think that your mom and dad would support you in that? Well, my sister's in university right now to become a fashion designer. They're helping pay for it. Yeah. yeah so you've seen that before. That's great. Uh, and could you tell me your whole full name? Kaylee and Catherine Nauman. Kaylee and Catherine Nauman. Okay. Thank you very much for talking to us today, Kaylee. That's so great. So great. So obviously this is a big deal. It's a big issue. But one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves in this series is, uh, why is this a justice issue? A justice issue? A justice issue. And um, why, does, why does God care about this? Because if we're followers of Jesus, we want to know what God thinks about things. It's important for us to know why it's a big deal. I mean, I think fundamentally, as humans, you can't hear stuff like this without going, Ugh. But as followers of, of Jesus, as people who want to know what God thinks about this, we, we need to know why it's a big deal. 
And the, the first reason is that God's design for, was that men and women would be in equal partnership. God's creation of Adam and Eve in the garden, when we look at the Genesis story, was a, for a shared destiny, a, a, a shared hope. They were together in the garden when the Lord charged them with the care of the earth. And they were even together in the garden when, uh, when they made the choice to, to sin. I'm referring to the story of Genesis that we as believers uh, talk about how creation, how, cre- how men and women were created. And um, you know, there, was a, there was a fall in the garden. Men and, and women chose to sin. But out of that, there also, there was a shared tragedy there, but out of that also came a shared hope. And uh, that time is referred to, I mean, euphemistically as the curse. But if we look at those words, God cursed the serpent, the enemy, the devil, and God cursed the ground. But his, his charge to, or to what he spoke over, over people, over men and women, was describing the consequences of sin, of what naturally would happen when they sinned, not uh, damning. And in fact, it was hopeful. He said to the serpent, you know, by this woman, by her seed, you're going to be crushed. I think the devil's been after women ever since, you know? It's, um, God's creation of Adam and Eve was that of a partnership. And in fact, the word that he, that is used in, uh, in the original language, I'm not going to, pro- I don't even know how to pronounce it, but phonetically the way it looks to me on my paper looks like Ezer Keneged. Keneged? The Ezer part of it, the word means helper, but it doesn't mean lowly servant the word means helper like i need help and you are the you are the strength that i'm looking to to help me it's the same word help that's in psalm 121 i lift my eyes up to the hills where does my help come from my help comes from the lord my help comes from strength that wasn't a lowly word in fact it was such a strong word that the second half of that phrase is actually an equalizing term so that it's not the woman would be over the man because of the strength of this word, this helper, this strength. And the Kenegeg part means equal, a, co- a corresponding to him. God gave man a, a, a partner, a helper, corresponding to each other. And, and even when they sinned, and Adam was trying to talk his way, explain what was going on, he said, the woman that you gave to be with me. He didn't say the woman you gave me. The woman you gave to be with me. He, he got it even then. So the idea was for this equality, this partnership. Um, if we're going to talk about mercy, loving mercy, the lack of mercy towards girl and, and women has become, I mean, I think it's pervasive around the world, but particularly in cultures where women are not valued. There is a a connection between the lack of a presence of women and the lack of a presence of mercy and gentleness. I mean, we see that in any all-boy environment anywhere around the world, but it becomes more pronounced when you're in whole nations where women's voices are not heard. And um, 
it, here, here is a statistic that, may, that this was one I had to read aloud. Uh, I'm an out, external processor, so when I'm preparing stuff, or if Wade and I are ever reading together alone, Wade, surprisingly enough, he's a very high-functioning introvert, but he's an introvert. So when he is like recharging, it is like, and I have to be, hi, how are you? You can draw him out, draw him out. I am on the other hand where I, I will be reading things and I'll have to stop myself. Okay, he's reading, I can't read this out. But this was one that I just went, you have got to be kidding me. There is a direct correlation between how women or how children were cared for in the United States before and after women got the vote. They could track it because women got the vote state by state in the United States when they were enacting suffrage laws. And what happened was that every place that women got the vote, politicians would scramble to put funding towards children's health care because they saw that it meant votes. So all of a sudden, kids were getting cared for and they could track it state by state by state. Everywhere where they suddenly saw that women were actually going to have a say in what was going on, they started paying more attention to how well they were taking care of kids. And in fact, Nationwide, the reductions in child, here, child mortality declined 8 to 15% with the enactment of suffrage laws. And nationwide, those reductions translated into roughly 20,000 averted child deaths a year. When women got the vote nationwide, the child mortality rate plummeted by 72 percent for children between the ages of one and four years old. And what was ironic was that people who were campaigning against women to have the vote were saying, what will happen to our children and our families if we let the women out of the home? If we let them out of the home and they're doing all these activities, all these other places, our families will suffer. And in fact, the exact opposite was true, that when they let women have a voice, when they saw that they were going to have to put their money where the women's votes were going to go, that's when children started getting care. So if we look at societies where women are silent, we can see that impact through the whole society. That's why God cares about this. It's a mercy issue. Ah, can I get an amen? Come on. Ah. Woo, come on. Now, if we're talking about walking humbly, the bottom line is, and I could get really passionate about this now, to have one sex placed above the other is the opposite of humility. It is in the face of humility. And all morning, I don't know if you noticed, but these were the the songs that Stephen chose for a worship set were these songs about humility. And, you know, for me, it was a good reminder that as much as we can do with our action and our passion and our voices and our money, we are ultimately reliant on God to make changes in the world. But also, we need to be walking with humility towards one another, how we're dealing with each other as men and women. I heard the most ridiculous conversation in the supermarket yesterday. It was between this old guy who was totally making awesome random old guy conversation and the guy who was bagging the checkout. And, and it was like he was going, so how are you doing? Are you keeping these women in line? Are the women bossing you around? And the guy was like, oh, I don't know. They, I don't know. I just try and stay quiet and the women don't boss me around too much. And oh, well, it's a little bit scary. And I am so steeped in this topic right now. I was walking away like, I know they're just making bad. It's ridiculous. What is this stuff about the women in line? But it's like all pervasive in every aspect of our culture. 
You know, and really the reason why this is so significant is that the guy who was never like that, he never ever said, oh, those silly women. Oh, those women was Jesus. Was Jesus. This quote I came across when I was researching this, John Piper actually saw the video where he's talking about the plight of millions of women today hidden away in cultures around the world where Jesus is not known or trusted or followed. It is a horrific, dismal plight. Wherever his gospel has gone, wherever his word has gone and taken root and begun to hold sway, men treat women with respect. They take humble, courageous initiative to protect women. They create stable, loving families as leaders who love and are like Jesus, in which covenant faithfulness of husband and wife displays to the world the mystery of Christ and his church. I read C.S. Lewis two weeks ago who said the ideal marriage is one that is most like a crucifixion, meaning the husband dies for her. That is unspeakably revolutionary in every culture, including ours. And Jesus was the ultimate revolutionary when it came to women and how he treated them. I don't know if you guys caught this. If you were here on Thanksgiving, we, our church had a group of guests from the Maasai tribe in Africa. And there was a woman who stood up and she was telling her story. And she was saying, I was a little girl and my mother chose to not have me practice Soto, which is a, a semi-sexual, semi-contentual ritual. I was trying to find out more about it. It's really difficult to even find out what it's about. And um, she said, I, my mom was a believer, so I didn't practice it. And she didn't want, she didn't want me to do it. And, and, uh, and Yona came and was chasing me. And Yona was chasing me around. And Yona took me and shaved half my head. And Yona surrounded the church and was doing this and that talking. And I, at the time, I thought, oh, she just must be talking about one of the people who were persecuted in the church. And then a couple minutes later... Somebody else went to, one of the men was giving his testimony, and all of a sudden I realized that on the board behind him it said, Yona, that guy, that was the guy. And I said to Wade, that was the guy, that was the guy who chased her and held her down and shaved her head. And Yona went on to tell his story of how, I mean, he, they, he basically just was overcome by the Lord and just got tied up and ate dirt before he got saved. And the people just prayed for him. I think because they were so scared of the guy, they're like, we're, we have him tied up. We are not going to let him go till he is saved. Because it was absolutely incredible, this story. But th- this, in cultures around the world, this guy, Jesus, got a hold of this man who changed. And now this guy was like, People, I am an evangelist, and I have come to tell you white people about God, and don't forget God. And I thought of that when I was preparing this sermon. I thought about how I needed some fresh air while I was preparing this sermon, and I said to Wade, I'm going to go for a walk. And he said, okay. And I walked out, and I took my books, and we're, we're living in a beautiful neighborhood right now. There's a little bench around the corner in front of somebody's house, and I went and took my books, sat in the sunshine under the fall trees, and all of a sudden I thought, I'm allowed to leave my house. My head's not covered. My husband didn't want to beat me for leaving the house. In fact, I didn't even ask permission. I just, you know, we had set aside time as a family. That, that was my sermon preparation time. So he was all over taking care of dinner and the kids. And he's, it takes a village to build a sermon when you have three small kids. And <laughs> it's the village, you know. And so he was doing it. And I was sitting, studying. A woman walked by and 
looks fantastic British woman who was saying, I thought you were a big flower sitting there that just bloomed up so great. And I was like, thank you. I like being a man. And this other Italian man walked by and saw me sitting in the sunshine reading my book. And he looked at me and nodded. So cute reading your book in the sun. And all I could think is, I can sit here. I can sit here. I can read what I want. Nobody's going to beat me up. There's an older man who just saw me sitting alone. And he greeted me and, you know, thought it was so charming. You know, one of the great writers of our faith, Bono, he said, where you live should not decide whether you live or whether you die. But it does. You know, when we look at how Jesus treated women, we've come so far. He was so, so radical. He was so radical about it. Until you start reading about it, we forget because we've heard these stories over and over again. But women didn't get talked to. Women didn't get taught. Women didn't get talked about. I mean, it's he... He used women as an example in his parables. In fact, there's two parables where the role of God is, you know, the analogy of God is portrayed by a, by a woman, by the woman searching for the coin, the woman hiding yeast in a lower loaf of bread. You know, in his language, he wanted to show that God's not male or female, that God's without gender. He's greater than his creation. You know, he gave an initiation rite in baptism that was for men and women. Up until then, there had only been circumcision. With baptism, men and women could come together as equals and have a rite of initiation into the church. They weren't just present, but they were participating. They were part of his ministry team. My parents named me Joanna after one of the women that traveled with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke that supported him. There's actually... Uh, scholars and early art that suggests, and even the language that's used about those women, that they were seen as it was the women, our women, that traveled with Jesus. Now, there's, we don't know who the 72 were that he sent out. Women were participating in all aspects of what was going on. I don't want to be thinking that people are preaching heresy, but I'm just saying you connect the dots, and it's Mary there. You know? Women, thank you. You know, they're in the story of Mary and Martha, when Luke writes about it, he says she was sitting at his feet. That's a phrase that was used, Paul used to talk about his teachers. Paul used to talk about his teachers. I was sitting at the feet of, I can't say his name, Gamaliel, that guy. Um, and, uh, and the same, he is, he is saying, he's not, Luke is not, Luke is, is writing. She was being taught by him. They call, Mary and Martha called him rabbi. The conversation that he has after Lazarus is raised from the dead with Mary, where he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. He revealed core teachings of our faith to women. The longest private conversation that's recorded in the Bible is with a woman and not just any woman, a Samaritan woman who you were never supposed to talk to. The the gospel writer writes, when they came back, they were surprised he was talking to a woman. That's what it says in the Bible. They were surprised. His followers were surprised he was talking to a woman. And not only did he talk with her, but he said to her first, I am the Messiah. 
Before Martha got it, before Peter got it, he said it to this woman who was so, so, such an outcast that she couldn't go get water at the same time of the day as the rest of the women in her community. That's why she was there by herself, because it was such an embarrassment to her. The life that she had lived was such an embarrassment to her. She couldn't even be with the other women. And Jesus sat down and said to her, give me a drink of water. And she said, oh, you have nothing to draw it with, and the well is too deep. And God's used that verse to speak to me about past sin in my life, where there are so many times where I would say to God, you don't even know how deep this one goes. You want to come and talk to me about this thing? You don't even know how deep this thing goes. And Jesus said, you ask me, and I'll give you living water. And she says, oh, just give me that water. Tell me how I can get it so I can never be thirsty again. And then, do you know what she does? She finds out who he is, and then she she goes and preaches it. And God and Jesus didn't seem shocked that it was a woman who was preaching it. And she said, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. It was so great because this week, I got to talk to my friend Shelly about Jesus for the very first time. She's staying in our house right now as an exchange student. And I was preparing for this sermon, and I started talking to her about what it's like to be a girl in China. And she said to me, we have these buildings, and it has this thing on the top. I don't know the name of it. So we started talking about what that thing on top of the building meant. And uh, we had a great conversation. It was really great. And I was explaining to her how the Bible worked. And we just flipped open the Bible to a reference that was written down, and I didn't even know what it was. And we opened it up, and I said, look, this is how you use a Bible. Here's the chapter. Here's the verse. And it was the story of the Samaritan woman. I said, this is such a great story for this to be your very first story that you ever read in the Bible. This is such a great story. Because Jesus was revolutionary about the way he treated women. Oh my gosh, I mean, come on, when he rose from the dead, it was a woman. I love it, David Hamilton, who wrote this book. This book here, people, every tough verse about women in the Bible, they, about the New Testament, they do it all. Why Not Women by Lauren Cunningham, who's the founder of the mission that I work with, Youth of the Mission, and David Hamilton, who's an incredible theologian. They deal with, I do not suffer a woman to preach. Women should remain silent, blah, 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 blah. Like, it's all in there, I gotta say. And one of the things that David Hamilton says is, there is little wisdom in inquiring, should women preach? When the head of the church himself sent a woman out to preach the resurrection before the sluggish male disciples had yet had apprehension of the fact. So, let's just say, the bottom line is, We need Jesus. It's not just a philanthropy issue. It's not just we want to do good because it's wrong. We have to have the gospel and the perspective as believers about this. Because when we lose sight as a church, and the way I believe that the enemy has systematically attacked this, I mean, even within the church, yikes, a house divided against itself. 
We have to remember how Jesus treated women. We have to remember God's initial design for men and women if we're going to have a right perspective on how we approach how women and girls are being ignored and slaughtered and devalued and forgotten and just lost all around the world. Um, This is my daughter, Sophia. And when we named her, we named her Sophia Joanna Jubilee. And Sophia means wisdom. In my family, we have a tradition where the firstborn daughter has her mom's second name, so she's Joanna. And Joanna means God is gracious. Has he ever been gracious to me? And we named her Jubilee. She was born in the seventh year of our marriage. She was the seventh grandchild to my grandparents. She was born at 12.01 a.m. on August the 27th. And she is a kid who loves a party. She is Jubilee. She loves, she'll give car, she loves to give cards and gifts and all this stuff. We thought about her when we named her. And we had a tradition in our family because our parents know and love Jesus. Both Wade and I have parents who are believers. And they cared about us and thought us and named us with care and love. This is our second daughter. Her name is Angela Eleanor Joie Pallister, which means angel of light and joy. She is named after her godmother, Angela Ambrose, who is an amazing woman of God. She is named Eleanor. She is the fifth woman, fifth generation of women in our family with a name that means light or bright one. I'm Joanna Helen. There's Ellen. All, all before up, five generations of bright ones. And we named her Joie after her grandmother Joyce and the amazing prophetic intercessor Joy Dawson and after really excellent wine that my cousin and his wife make. And, uh, and we do get free wine because we named her after her. You know, it was really good. Um, there was a story last night on the Yahoo News about a group of girls in India who had a renaming ceremony. A renaming ceremony because these 200 girls had been named unwanted. It is a name that is common in Hindi, Nakushi or Nakushi, Nakusha, unwanted, named by a grandfather who wanted a boy, unwanted, unwanted. And the people in their community got together, they put on their best dresses, they gave them new certificates, and they all chose new names. Yeah. We need to know the names. This girl, her name is Kidan. I'm <laughs> 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 
thegirleffect.org is a website that's been put together by a group of foundations who are trying to raise awareness of women's issues. When they were tracking these videos, they, they don't know where Kidan is. They went back to her, and, and she's, she's gone. They can't find her. But I'm going to show you another video in a bit that shows how it's very possible for this story to end differently. And we have the power to pray for Kidan today. We know her name. And we can pray for her because there are stories of, of women who were married early and were still able to get an education. Something happened for them. But statistically right now, chances are she'll probably be pregnant pretty early. And that's dangerous. And so the issue is, is that if we can um, make a difference to girls early, even by age 12, this is a life-changing issue. It's a life-changing issue. Um, and so to come back to the point of how, what do we do or how do we go or just, oh wait, oh, these are name verses. I was looking these up. I think that's maybe, is that too small to see you? Can you see that? I was thinking about names and I found these verses in the Bible about names where Jesus says, I summon you by name. The gatekeeper opens a gate for him, and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Don't fear, the Lord says. I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. So, you know, we can pray for Kiran by name, but we need to remember that every single one of these girls and women are somebody that God knows by name. I mean, even though they don't know what happened, to Kidan, these st statisticians and researchers don't know. This is what the Bible says. It says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. If he knows where all the stars are and what their names are, he knows. He knows where every single one of these girls are. And women, he knows them all by name. He knows each of us by name. And so he hasn't lost any. But we have responsibility. We're charged. We're charged as part of this kingdom to ask, what's my next step? What can I do? And the good news is, is that people from the kingdom are making a difference in countries that are founded on Christian principles. Even if those Christian principles are being eroded, women fare better than they do in countries without them. And what was so fascinating to me, so it, it is important to, to make our voices known, our values in a culture, what's important. It makes a difference. But also, um, again, in Half the Sky is, a, is an entirely um, secular book as, as far as the reporting statistics, but one of the things that they said was that when they travel in the poorest countries in Africa, you repeatedly find diplomats, UN staff, aid agencies, and capitals in big cities, and then you go to the remote villages where Western help is most needed, and aid workers are suddenly scarce. Doctors Without Borders works heroically in remote areas, and so do other some secular groups, but the people that you almost inevitably encounter are the missionary doctors and church-sponsored aid workers. It's people who get Jesus' heart, who are there, who are going to those places. And that's what God's asking us today, I believe, is not how can you solve this whole problem, but is there a starfish that you're supposed to pick up today? Is there something, is there a next step for us? Because this is what's happening. There is real hope in, for girls and women around the world. Oh, oh, 
আগে যেমন ধরেন যদি মানে খেতে পারলে আমার যে চাহিদাগুলো ছিল ওইগুলো আমি মেটাতে পারতাম না যেমন আমার যদি একটা কাপড় কিনার ইয়ে ছিল ওই কাপড়টা আমি কিনতে পারতাম না এখন আমি সবজি চাষ করতেছি সবজি চাষের লাভ টাকা দিয়ে সবকিছু মিলিয়ে মাসে পাঁচশো টাকা আমার কাছে থাকে আমার নিজের একটা খরচ আছে ওই খরচ দিয়ে চালিয়ে যাই আমার পরিবারের পারিবারিক চাহিদা মিটাই $60. That's the, for the, what it cost to buy your cow. That was it. I was so in this this week. I had a dream that somebody was buying a woman a cow, and then they had butchered the cow in the dream, and I was like, no, she needs the cow. I woke up like I was so... It's been in my head a lot. It's been in my head a lot. So... What I want to say, there is such hopefulness. There is such possibility in this. There is overwhelming despair. And I think it's, impo it's important that we look at that too. It's important that we see that too. That this situation is bleak without change. But the good news is that with such a small amount, in our perspective, what is small, our perspective of what is a small thing, it is life-changing. I don't know if you caught in that first I Dare You video that statistic that when it, uh, we invest in a girl, 90% goes back into the community. So, um, yeah, I think for us today, it's twofold. The first question is, are we honoring each other, both women and men? Are we, as a community, are we honoring each other in the way that God intended? Are we working as a partnership, that beautiful partnership, that help that was suited to each other, that was designed at creation? Because... It's easy for us to get the messages of our culture, our church culture too, our, our world culture, our media. I think it comes off in the stupid comments we make. Well, you know, men, blah, 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 and women. Blah, blah, blah. I just think it's so stupid. And stuff like that's always bugged me, and I never really knew why. So I guess I feel justified this week in being like, I knew that I thought that was stupid for a reason. But I think also it's because I have a husband who honors me so highly. 
He doesn't ever say stupid stuff about me to me or to other people. He doesn't ever deride me. He speaks about me so highly. I really, I, I do try and do the same about him too because I, I, I think very highly of him and I do believe that God's created us to work together as a team. I'm very honored to be in a ministry in a position where we get to work together as a team and our kids get to see us work together as a team. And our kids, we, we even have our, our family website. We're teampallister.com. And, uh, and you know, it's, it, it's been kind of a, a jokey thing for years. We were Team Pallister, but we had some friends who got married a couple years ago and, and um, they were trying to figure out what to engrave on the inside of their wedding rings. And the bride said, I've got it. I know what we'll put. We'll put Team Bishop. And I said to Wade, that's so cool. And he said, I know. I, I think they got it. So part of our family team thing this week has been, I've been talking with our daughter, Sophia. Are the kids, are the kids around? So Sophia has been a part of this preparation because I keep saying, Sophia, come here, listen to this. So do you want to share? Yeah, Izzy's here. We've got some primary kids. Anybody else want to come? Okay. So... We have a bit of a bit of a challenge because Isabella and and um, her mom and um, Annika, who's not here today, who's another one of our primary school kids, have been talking a little bit about this concept, girl girl effect concept. Okay, girl, do you want to share what happened? Okay. Well, we got the idea from Annika, who always shares her birthday money when she ever gets it. And I tried that this year on my birthday. And I gave it to a Maasai choir. And after that, I found out that the exact amount of money could give, could give a Maasai girl school supplies for a whole year. Uh, basically, I was amazed. <laughs> but what did you say? Next year, I want to give more. <laughs> yeah. So, so we've been talking about Isabella and Annika and Sophia and Kathleen, who's a primary school leader. Are oh, you done? Sorry. And? Yeah, just one second. Um, so we've been talking about it, and we think that it would be really cool to make a birthday challenge for this church. So what we'd like to do is we like to challenge you on your birthday. If anybody gives you any money, where do we want them to give it? Mm. Anywhere that helps send a girl to school. Anywhere that helps send a girl to school. So we have Hope for the Nations that we work with that's educating girls. We have the Maasai Choir that just came through. I want to challenge you all to go to the Girl Effect website because there's a super cool challenge on right now where they have different um, projects that they are competing this year, allowing to compete. And it's not just money raised, but they're looking for people to go in. They're looking for individual donors. So if you, the largest number of individual donors, even if we all went on and found a project and donated 
two bucks, five bucks, but also shares. And one of the projects on there is Help a Maasai Girl Complete School. The project that Wade and I are partnering with in Thailand could help an Aka girl go to school, the Thai Aka Foundation. There's lots of opportunities in our church. So we're going to kick this off this week because there's somebody in our church that had a birthday and it's already passed, but we're going to celebrate this week. So surprise, everybody who's got part of it, surprise, surprise, Rick Hebert, Rick Hebert, this year, for your birthday, we are giving you a schoolgirl's uniform. That is right. That is right. Now, before anybody gets any weird ideas, Rick will not have the uniform, nor will he it, that's not for him. He will not wear it. This schoolgirl, yay! Rick says yay. Rick, we are giving in your honor a Maasai girl a school uniform. And you know what that's going to do? Because girls have school uniforms, it means when they go to school longer, they marry later. They usually have less kids. They're lower risk of maternal death. Often when a girl has a school uniform, she's more protected in that culture. She's seen as belonging to something. She's usually, yeah, it's incredible. This week, last week, if you'd said to me, or three weeks ago, if you'd said, we're going to give somebody a school uniform, I would say, nice. That's so great. This sermon has changed me because I know now that that means that it is very possible. You can't blow it into the microphone. Blow it one more time. Yay! Yay! It is highly. We are changing somebody's life. Yay! Yay! All right. So... Where do we go from here? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Blow your horn one more time. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Isabella and Sophia. Oh, oh, oh. And Isabella and Sophia and Annika and Jacob are going to be working to create some birthday cards. And they're going to be for sale. And you can buy birthday cards for people that you know. And the money is going to go towards sending girls to school somewhere in the world. And what's the name of the project? The TSG, the schoolgirls, schoolgirls sending schoolgirls to school. Awesome.